From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And for anyone who was able to get some news apart from Donald Trump this week, there was it was a pretty momentous week, actually, in budget world. The week began with the House nearly paralyzed as some, a handful of conservatives held up business in revolt over spending levels that were part of the debt limit deal. The House finally got back to business, but it's been a, it's been a slugfest. And we really saw this week the tensions growing from both parties over these spending levels, how they're going to resolve that, a huge clash between the House and Senate over this. And while you probably weren't looking, a huge tax bill came out of the House Ways and Means Committee, also a party line vote uh, that enraged Democrats. We're going to talk about all of that to the extent we can. I've got two of our superstar reporters joining me to talk about that. Aiden Quigley, the appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Aiden. Thanks for having me. And Laura Weiss, the tax policy reporter at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Laura. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start with the spending fight, Aiden, because um, this was pretty remarkable this week uh, on several levels. We, you know, you had this this revolt in the House from about eleven hardcore conservatives who were upset about the debt limit deal because it authorized more spending than they thought they had been promised by Speaker Kevin McCarthy. They were finally able to assuage those concerns somehow with some sweet talk behind closed doors. We don't know exactly how. The House got back to business and the House Appropriations Committee got to work actually rolling out two of their 12 annual spending bills and divvying up the budget pie through these subcommittee allocations at levels that Democrats are not happy about. Yeah, so the big news this week was that the House appropriators rolled out their subcommittee allocations at the fiscal 22 level, which was a huge kind of point of contention over the last few weeks in between the finalizing of the debt limit deal and, you know, present day, where it had... The line of thinking was that appropriators in both chambers would write to the caps in the agreement between McCarthy and the president, but the House of House Republicans are are really kind of striving to uh, cut spending even under the caps. You know, the the whole quote from Granger and and others has been that the you know caps are a ceiling and not a floor. So we we uh, reported the three or two Bs on Monday night. And Those are the subcommittee allocations uh, have that unfortunate moniker 302B, referring to a section of the budget code for you, for all you budget wonks out there. But yeah, 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 yeah. For for those podcast listeners who who yeah don't know those those are the subcommittee allocations David just said. But they rolled those out and they are coming in at a, a lower level. There's a big caveat here though, which is that there is like 115 billion dollars of clawbacks. So the actual cut. The spending is going to be less than the amount laid out in those subcommittee allocations, but they will be pulling from appropriated, but not spent, at least in the, these bills. Obviously, the other big caveat is that these bills will not become law. They're just a negotiating position to start negoti- negotiations with the Senate. 
but it really kind of sets the stage for a battle where House Republicans are presumably going to be fighting for le- levels under the caps in the eventual negotiations, which is just going to be a complete non-starter for the Democrats, uh, especially since McCarthy did sign off on this deal and it passed in a bipartisan way. Yeah, it gets confusing, but you know when you talk about rolling back to fiscal 2022 levels versus what the Senate, the Democratic-controlled Senate's going to do, there's a chasm there of, a, I think, about $119 billion that's going to have to be resolved in terms of the, the overall total amounts of the allocations. That's a huge gap between the two sides. and as But as you point out, the, on the House Republican side, it's a lot lower spending, about $119 billion less. But on the other hand, they also had these side agreements in the in the debt limit deal, and there was this agreement to claw back all this unspent money from pandemic aid and maybe other places that makes up most of this of this gap, right? So that so that overall non-defense spending stays relatively flat in the House plan, even though on paper these allocations look like they're a lot lower. So there's, there's frustration, I think, from both sides, because if you're a hardcore conservative who, who really wanted to pare back spending, right, <laughs> and get back to fiscal 2022 at least, that's what angered so many of them and why you had that revolt on the House floor, I think, is because then they heard about the side deals in the debt limit agreement where, where yes, on paper, it's, the spending is pared back, but actually... When you claw back all that unspent money, you're keeping spending relatively flat. You know, they sort of looked at it and said, well, what what the hell is this all about? And why? how did we lose out here? And and they felt kind of hoodwinked. Right. And, and that's why they staged that revolt on the House floor and held up business. So and then if you're a Democrat, they felt hoodwinked, too. And, and you had this remarkable fight in the House Appropriations Committee that Aiden, you sat through that 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 did get bitter at times, I think, where they really vented their frustration, saying, "Look, we had a deal that referring to the debt limit deal that set spending caps, right that they were finally comfortable with. And you had someone as senior as as the former House Democratic leader, Steny Hoyer who's pretty diplomatic with his words, I think, usually, and pretty gracious, usually. And he he basically went on a tirade and said, what the hell is this? You know, we thought we had a deal. And now all of a sudden you're telling us these spending levels we agreed to were a ceiling, but you could, you're going to spend a lot less than that. You know, we didn't think we had a ceiling. We thought we had a deal, is what he said. Uh, and so there was... There was real anger there that I, that I haven't seen in a while, that really uh, forebodes a, a bitter a bitter time here to get to get a cooperative working relationship on, on appropriations. I think. So a couple of things to kind of kind of pull out on this before before I dive into the fight at the other night. So I think the you know the side deals are kind of separate from the clawbacks a little bit. Like the clawbacks are in the House bills. And I know they also are in the debt limit agreement, but in the House bills, they're clawing back the money. And I don't think that that is like, uh, there are a few conservatives who are talking about that as an issue, but I think the main line of thinking on the right would, you know, in the Freedom Caucus would probably be more aligned with Andy Harris, who is saying that this is a good way to 
you know, spend a lot lo- lower amount of money and just kind of take all this money that Democrats spend on other things to, you know, fund the government for fiscal 2024, basically. Yes, yeah, some of them were comfortable with that, right. I mean, and in yeah. fact, most of them, but it only took a handful of them to protest to, to create havoc. Yeah, but I, 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 I don't think, I think that the tie up on the House floor is more related to the Freedom Caucus feeling like they were cut out of the negotiations and they could have gotten a better deal. And like, I don't know if it's as narrowly uh, pinpointed as, as, you know, on about these clawbacks. You know, I think that's a, that's a point that's worth worth making uh, on that topic. But but kind of pivoting and, and moving forward back to Wednesday night, where at the Appropriations Committee there was this big fight. Uh, obviously, Democrats feel like there's an opportunity here where these caps are in place, and these caps, as as we talked about a couple of weeks ago are not favorable to Democrats. Rosa DeLauro, the ranking member of the Appropriations Committee, voted against this bill. I, I think that that's really worth highlighting, where these caps are really hard to stomach for for Democrats. And, you know, de- it's... The debt limit deal, you're saying? The debt limit deal caps, yes. So, so the assumption, like, de- Democrats were thinking that Republicans would write to those levels in the House, the Senate would write to those levels, they'd conference, they'd hammer out their differences and appropriations could get done, you know, without a huge, you know, fight here. But it, Republicans are really kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know, ceilings, ceil- the, you know, the caps are ceiling and not a floor and and we're ready to go. And Democrats are saying that that's reneging on the debt limit deal. And uh, I, another point is that Democrats are pointing out, Pete Aguilar made this point at Thursday morning at the hearing where he was saying, essentially, by writing under the caps, Democrats are handing their voting cards over to the Senate, where the Senate is writing the caps, and the House will have to stomach whatever the Senate sends over to avoid a shutdown in the fall, or you know, if there's a continuing resolution around Christmas time, which is what we typically see. But uh, it kind of it's undermining the House's ability to participate in this process fully. Was the point that he was making uh, in that. You know, in his mind, the end game is going to be just the House kind of getting jammed by the Senate instead of collaboration between the two chambers. Obviously, House Republicans are probably saying writing to this level gives us a negotiating point where we can get even lower levels of spending. But it's really hard for me to see an end game in which Democrats accept anything lower than these caps, which is already a really tough deal for them. Yeah. Uh, and that's why that's why there was real anger, I think, once once House Republicans decided to write bills that are lower than these caps allow, uh, they really felt double crossed, uh, and so and so you have real pushback now. You and the, the House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries just Thursday was warning there could be a government shutdown this fall, as have some of the right wing House conservatives saying, you know, <laughs> maybe there will be a shutdown. And I mean, there, you've got you've got both parties now wondering whether appropriations will get on track here because of these bitter feelings. And it was clear this week that both parties walked away from this debt limit deal with different interpretations of what it means, right? Because these spending caps are being interpreted very differently. To Republicans, these caps just set a ceiling on spending, or at least that's what they're saying now since since conservatives had revolted and, and McCarthy needs to find a middle ground here. They're saying that they just represent a ceiling and we can spend less than that and we will. 
to placate the conservative base. And Democrats walked away from the debt limit deal saying, no, this was the deal. These were agreed on bipartisan spending levels that it took a lot to swallow, but we're, we agreed to them. And now you want to go lower. That's not fair. Uh, and all these critical programs will be cut. So, boy, that's a pretty tough fight now. Um, and and obviously, Republicans have the votes in the House, I think. Who knows, really? But I think Republicans have the votes to jam through these spending bills on a party-line vote. Although questionable whether moderates get uncomfortable with this and... and uh, you know, hold things up. I don't. What do you think, Aiden? Can can they pass these bills? I mean, actually, for some of these bills that are swallowing big cuts, maybe not. Right. That is what you would think typically is that these bills would be hard for moderates to support. But taking a step back and looking at the chamber, I think it is always going to be the Freedom Caucus and the further right members of the party who get squeamish over any spending bill. I I, I think moderates are going to be team players and, and take the line that they used for the debt limit bill, the Republicans' debt limit bill, the initial one, which had major cuts, and say, this is a negotiate, negotiation position. It's not going to become law. We are just staking our, our land here, and the government's spending too much money, and we need to make a, an effort to, to cut that back. I, I think it's going to come down to the right who's going to say, these cuts are not severe enough, and we need more and more and more. And that is where I think McCarthy would run into more issues, even with these bills that they're writing to the fiscal 22 level. I think that there's going to be some, if the majority is so, the margin is so slim, it only takes a handful of folks who want to cut more to prevent these from moving forward. So I think that that's kind of where I'll be looking kind of for more uh, issues with these bills, even though based on what the bills say, you would think that moderates would have a, you know, swing district, moderate Republicans would have a harder time voting for them. I think at the end of the day, you'll see those folks get on board, but it will be the far right. Uh, Freedom Caucus folks who have a much harder time uh, voting for these. So they can probably uh, jam through these bills on a party line vote that will be dead on arrival in the Democratic controlled Senate and Senate appropriators. As we tape Friday morning uh, next week, Senate appropriators are, are finally getting into gear and are going to be marking up their own bills, which are going to look very different. Right. Yeah. So. But back to predicting the House for one quick second. I, I'm not sure I'll say that they'll they'll probably... I'm not comfortable predicting that they'll get more than a handful of bills across the floor at this point. I think we I think we have to see kind of how it plays out with the conservatives. I mean, right now they're really upset with McCarthy. And, uh, yeah. It they could easily unravel, that is for sure. I mean, that, yeah, there's yeah. no guarantee here at all this year, even though in the House you've got this this... You can write closed rules and ram things through on party line votes. Typically, yeah. this is an atypical year where where uh, you've got such a, a fractured Republican majority with the slimmest of margins. Uh, and we saw just this week how a handful of conservatives held up House business and and paralyzed the whole chamber for a few days. Um, they warned they'll do it again if they're not happy. Uh, and there are indications they're already not happy again. Um, so it is it is pretty easy to see a lot of these bills uh, going nowhere, right? Yeah, that's kind of uh, just an overarching point. But of course, you know, McCarthy did pass the debt limit bill with 
out of with Republicans. They lost a few, but they were able to get a three. So who knows? Maybe maybe they will be able to get you know a, a fair amount of these appropriations bills through. But as you point out in your earlier question, moving forward to the Senate side, Senate appropriators are meeting on Thursday to approve their slate of subcommittee allocations and consider the military construction, VA, and agriculture bills. So that's going to be the first markup. It's uh, June 22nd. So I think that that, you know, Senate appropriators will be really happy that they're marking up bills. They didn't do any markups last year. They've only marked up three bills in the last three years, I believe. So I think there's really a lot of excitement on the Senate side, but it's going to be really interesting to watch the Senate Republicans and see how they, if they will support these numbers when their house counterparts are ready to a much lower level over the over there yeah the big difference here is the senate bills are going to have more generous funding right because they've already said they're going to write bills that provide full funding under the spending caps under the debt limit deal so that gives them i think about 119 billion dollars extra to play with compared to the house bills right so that's that's a good chunk of change it is but from the democrats perspective these again back to the caps. These caps are going to force them to make really difficult decisions, and appropriators, yeah, sure, democratic right. appropriators on both sides of the aisle, believe that you know they could have gotten a better deal in the regular appropriations process if they if they hadn't had the debt limit hanging over their head. And Republicans, you know, didn't want to pass a clean debt limit, so they used it to extract these caps. But uh, so you know, Democrats will will be frustrated by if if they don't get Republicans on board with the cap levels, but. It's going to be interesting to see how how the Senate Appropriations Committee votes to shake out next week. But reason to think, Aiden, that they, there will be a more bipartisan approach in Senate appropriations. A- absolutely, Ranking Member Collins and Chair Murray are, are you know working together on this, and I think that they'll get at least a few Republican votes on every bill. Maybe it'll be most of the committee. There's going to be a few conservatives who will probably vote against spending levels of the cap, saying they can cut farther, but. I have to see the numbers before I can make any strong predictions, but I, I do think we'll see more bipartisan than the House, absolutely, considering that the House, it's just going to be party line votes on every bill with, with the cuts that are laid out, the allocations. Okay, so Senate markups coming up. We will we will be watching them closely. But meanwhile, we also want to talk about the other big development of this of this busy week, which is the House tax writers, the Ways and Means Committee, produced a big tax cut package on a party line vote, Laura. Yeah. Did you, how long did that markup run, by the way? <laughs> that markup ran over 11 hours. Uh, it, was, wow. it was a long day. Yeah. And you stuck, you were there for the whole thing? <laughs> I was. I was the last person in Longworth 1100, which is not a great, <laughs> not a crown that I'm hoping to always get. But. Well, let the record show you have the strength of 10 budget trackers. I don't know that I could have lasted that long. So tell us in simple terms, Laura, what this tax package does and why Democrats are so angry about it. Yeah. So there are essentially three separate bills in this tax package. One of them Republicans describe as focused on small businesses. That includes um, some decrease in tax reporting that would mean less tax reporting for contractors, subcontractors, also for gig workers and online sellers, which has been a big fighting point over the last couple of years after Democrats lowered that threshold. And that would also um, make some other changes, sort of incentives to hold small business stock and 
for business owners to make business purchases, things like that. Um, there's another package that is a combination of different things. It would revive the business tax breaks that have faced down under Republicans' 2017 tax law. That's been a big Republican point for a couple of years now. Um, and then that also would repeal a bunch of things that Democrats did in their signature you know, tax, health, climate legislation last year. It would um, repeal a revival of the Superfund tax on petroleum, and it would also roll back some clean energy tax credits for electric vehicles and clean electricity. And then there's a third bill that would increase the standard deduction for two years, and it would be limited to people making under about half a million dollars a year. There's a phase out starting around $400,000 for married joint tax filers. Um, and it would be up to a $4,000 deduction starting in 2024. So um, it was sort of this package of, of different things aimed at business, aimed at individuals as well. Um, and this was you know, really a Republican moment to lay out their tax priorities to make the case for the things they want to do to the tax code right now. Uh, it would line up bigger standard deduction and um, business tax breaks with the 2025 cliff when a lot of the 2017 law that passed under Donald Trump expires. And so it's sort of their opening message on where they think the tax code should go for now. Um, Democrats were very opposed to the package, um, had a lot of complaints about the fact that Republicans, you know, moved from a deficit reduction argument in the debt limit debate right on to a bill that JCT estimates would increase the deficit by $21 billion over a decade. They also argued that it would do more to benefit um, those who are better off and not do enough for the vulnerable and made the case for things like their child tax credit proposal as more targeted to the most vulnerable families. Um, and so, yeah, it was a very long markup, a lot of debate, a lot of questions, but there were also some seeds of how this could potentially turn into a bipartisan tax package months from now. This isn't soon. This isn't guaranteed in any way. Um, but Richie Neal, the top Democrat on the Ways and Means Committee, was talking about how, you know, this could have been bipartisan in his view if Republicans wanted to talk it through with Democrats or open to some of Democrats' priorities. So even though Democrats objected very much to the package as a whole, there are things in there that Democrats would be willing to support. I do want to talk about the cost of this package because the, because you hear very different figures. The your, the official score from the nonpartisan joint committee on taxation that you referred to does make it sound like the cost is actually pretty tiny, right? Twenty one billion dollars. That's over a decade. Mm -hmm. In the grand scheme of things, is actually pretty cost neutral. It's hardly much of a cost at all. But Democrats are calling this a one trillion dollar tax cut. And I think the re the difference there, of course, is that to keep the cut to keep the cost looking small, Republicans 
are like boosting that standard deduction for just a couple years, right? To make the cost look small. I mean, it's just a temporary boost in the standard deduction. Yes. So what Democrats are saying is if you extend, if you make that permanent, then over 10 years, you're talking at this thing balloons into a $1 trillion mammoth thing that blows a hole in the deficit. That's their argument. Yeah. I mean, I will note that uh, both parties have proposed things like bringing back the bigger, more upfront, uh, immediate R&D amortization, reversing from amortization, a kind of complex term, but basically a more valuable deduction for R&D costs for companies. Um, That's something that, you know, both parties have proposed, let's bring this back a few years. And that certainly makes the cost look lower in a 10-year budget window with the way that JCT estimates things. But that is definitely something that Democrats argued here that for the suite of those business tax breaks, they go through 2025, the standard deduction as well. Obviously, this is a constant thing with the tax code that when things expire, if they're popular, you know, or if they're top priorities for a specific party, they're going to want to bring them back. And that can mean some, you know, a lot of people would argue hidden costs. And, you know, you see that right now because these business tax breaks for research and development, interest expenses, buying short-term assets like machinery and equipment, they're starting to phase down or end under the 2017 tax law. But Republicans say they shouldn't be gone for a moment. So, you know, that is a constant battle here and definitely something that Democrats have seized on um, to say, look, this is would be more expensive in the long term and that it does come on the heels of this debt limit debate that Democrats never wanted to have in the first place. Right. And, and it was another thing to outrage Democrats, I guess, because, as you say, right after this debt limit deal where the whole focus was on how to reduce the deficit, they see Republicans come back with a tax bill that actually will increase the deficit. It's maddening to Democrats who are trying to say, you know, preserve money for for some programs they really consider critical. But they but Republicans did design this tax package at a pretty minimal cost. Right. So now you could argue artificially so because they, you know, they designed it so that these tax breaks expire in a few years. So the cost looks small and everyone knows they're going to try to extend it once you reach that once a few years yeah. go by. So it's a, you know, you could argue it's kind of a cynical way of doing it, but that's where they are. And of course, I guess re- Republicans really at their core don't even believe tax cuts cost money. So I guess they have little patience for that argument. Yeah, I think uh, Budget Chairman Jody Arrington kind of laid this out in the hearing uh, that, you know, yes, Republicans just had this debt limit fight. We believe that needed to happen is essentially what he said, but that Republicans also believe they need to cut taxes and have what he described as pro-growth policies, essentially. And so that is the classic Republican argument that by cutting taxes, you incentivize and you know, make economic growth possible. Um, But there's, you know, certainly a lot of debate over whether that is the correct outlook and then also whether, um, you know, just the result of how Republicans 2017 tax law has fared. Um, And you saw that on display as well. You saw Republicans really talking up 
what they did, which was a huge change, you know, slashing the corporate rate, um, lowering a lot of individual income taxes, and just a big change to the tax code. You're talking, this is in 2017. You're talking about on the Trump tax code. Yeah. yeah. And that's something at this markup that was that fight that's coming over whether to preserve that at the end of 2025 was already starting to happen. Um, you had Chairman Smith talking it up. You had Ranking Member Neal saying it was a $2.3 trillion cost that hasn't done what Republicans claimed. Um, and so these fights over the tax code and where things should go, they're really just gearing up. Yeah. So this new package, Laura, it came out of committee on a party line vote. Have they been promised a, a vote on the floor? Can they get it past the House? That's really not clear yet. Uh, it's really hard to tell whether that is something they're going to do or can do. Not sure. Uh, the big question is probably solved, as it often is, the state and local tax deduction. It's capped at $10,000. You have some Republicans who are very, very vocal about wanting salt relief and who are quite vulnerable in more vulnerable districts. And so this is a big point for them. Um, you saw Democrats push on that at the markup this week. Uh, they brought up a amendment to lift the salt cap and Republicans did line up to vote it down. But you saw several saying, we need to find compromise on this. We need to do something about SALT. You heard Chairman Jason Smith, who is not himself you know, someone who cares about the SALT cap with his district, but saying essentially, I, we know this is an issue on the Republican side now, too, as well. So, and, and if you do, if you do lift the cap on these state and local tax deductions, that's going to increase the cost of the bill, right? It would depend the way Democrats proposed it. It would also extend the salt cap at a higher number. And so you can, in those ways, make it pay for itself because the salt cap does expire after 2025. But, you know, there are those among the salt proponents who would like to see this expire at this point. It's simply a complicated political and policy issue at this point. And Republicans are very aware that it's a problem for them with a very thin margin. Democrats are fully opposed to this bill. Uh, so I think we'll see if it has a salt problem and also if it has a, you know enough backing in the Republican conference. But I'm not aware of immediate plans to put it on the floor. And it would certainly be dead in the Democratic-controlled Senate. So the question is, is there a compromise package that could that could somehow happen toward the end of the year, right? Yeah, I think even if this bill doesn't go anywhere, it's still really significant in terms of here is a document that lays out House Republicans position on taxes at a time when a lot of a lot of people watching Congress want to see tax legislation move after a, a months long freeze here that wasn't really expected. Um, a tax package, a bipartisan tax package couldn't get done at the end of last year. And the Senate, meanwhile, has, you know, finance chair Ron Wyden had a hearing on anti-poverty and family provisions in the tax code. 
uh, this week, and that was Democrats really making their case on the child tax credit, a really a policy that they've adopted as really a signature issue and pressed in these conversations. So I think you saw this week some of the key points laid out, and now it'll be a question of if there is both a will and ability to get agreement in the months to come. Okay. A lot to cover here, uh, but that's all the time we have for today. Uh, My thanks again to Aiden Quigley and to Laura Weiss for joining me. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. If you like what you hear here, you should sign up for the CQ Budget newsletter. It hits your email every morning when Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. You can find all of our coverage on the tax cut package, on the appropriations battle at CQ.com or RollCall.com. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time.